Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainoth Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. So there seems to be something in the air this season and I'm not... There's something in the water? Yeah, something in the water. I don't... I feel like that's an inside joke. There's a song that I get wrong all the time and I say there's something in the water. What is the real song? There was another in the fire. I don't even there know was. what song I'm trying to sing, but I always <laughs> say this. There was something in the water. Whoa. Yep. I always do the whoa, whoa, and then you make fun of me. But I guess I just make up my own songs. Yeah. But that would be a good song. Someone should write a song about something being in the water. Anyways, Didn't Dolly Parton write a song about something being in the water? I don't know. Probably. Maybe. Well, anyways, moving right along and not talking about how I get lyrics wrong all the time. Uh, There seems to be something happening this season that I've noticed, particularly like within the church community that I don't know if I've noticed before. So maybe there is a time within certain churches to do baptisms, but I've been getting like text alerts from a few other churches that we've attended events for. Have you been cheating on our church with other no, churches? No, I haven't. But you know, every once in a while you end up at a church and doing it, going to a different event. <laughs> you know how it goes. You just find yourself <laughs> in a church. Well, they have events. And now that we have kids, like I'm always trying to find free events. And so churches have a lot of free events. It's great. So I've been to a few churches, gone to a few events. I guess that does sound bad when you put it that way. But I've been getting a lot of text messages talking about baptisms, and our church has been doing bapti- baptisms the last couple of weeks. So I just wonder if there's like a seasonal time for baptisms to happen within the church. There might be. I mean, it's certainly a seasonal time for our church. We've baptized over 120 people over the last two weekends. Yeah, it's very exciting. I had nothing to do with it, but I just you was excited to talk about that. Neither did I. But that's okay. But all that... We were there. We saw it. It was we, cool. Yeah. It was great. I was in tears. I'm I'm just in tears a lot these days. It's... Anyways. It happens, yeah. Another topic. Uh, but all that to be said, I have been really thinking a lot about baptism. And it's one of those things that growing up in the church, you're very familiar with baptism. You're aware of the fact that we are supposed to be baptized. It should be something happening within our churches. But I don't think a lot of people really know, not necessarily why we do baptisms, but why we do them the way we do them. How important are they? How often should they be happening within your church? Just like how should they be happening within your church? Like the methods of baptism. And it made me think, hey, this might be a pretty interesting podcast to talk about. The fact that the way I am familiar with baptisms is not actually the long-standing church tradition of baptisms. Yes, and to be clear, we are talking about water baptisms. We know oh, that yes. Tamara was raised Assemblies of God, but we are talking about water baptisms. Yes, which is one not baptism by the Holy Spirit, We're which is one of water. two ordinances or sacraments. Uh, if you're a little bit more high church, that the evangelical church broadly observes. And so we want to talk about them, mainly focusing on baptism and the different ways that that is viewed within the Western church. And we'll dive into that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. 
Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So, in evangelicalism and in Protestantism generally, we have two ordinances. They can also be referred to as sacraments. Uh, so whether you're Lutheran, Reformed, Anglican, Baptist, Pentecostal, Foursquare, um, whatever it might be, uh, we have two ordinances. The Catholic tradition has seven of them. Right, but they call them sacraments. They definitely yeah. call them sacraments. Um, but two of those that overlap are the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist or communion Mm -hmm. and baptism. Right. So the Lord's Supper or communion, uh, both Catholics and Protestants practice the Lord's Supper. Uh, And Eastern Orthodox too. Yes. Their view on what is actually happening during the partaking of the elements of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ is very different. We are not going to get into that on this top uh, podcast. This is not the transubstantiation podcast. Right, but I mean, it's that, not the consubstantiation. So you're podcast throwing a lot of big words around that that we're not going to discuss. Actually Just know. Google that, and if you can figure it out, we'll talk about it later on a different podcast because the difference between anyways, yeah, we'll we'll get really into that going another off day. On a tangent, reel it in, reel it in. So we're talking about baptism, which is the second ordinance that overlaps within the evangelical Protestant faith and the Catholic faith, but baptism specifically. This is actually a widely debated topic within the church for centuries. And I did There seems not to be a lot of those. That. Yeah. Yeah. The issue is not whether or not believers should be baptized. Um, everyone would agree the Bible is very clear about that. And I mean, just the Great Commission says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So that's in Matthew 28. Uh, But part of what we are called to do as believers is make disciples. And part of being a disciple is baptism and obeying God's command. So what Christians through the millennia have disagreed about is not whether or not you should do it, but how should we go about baptizing people? Yeah, I think the one other thing that people agree, everyone agrees about baptism, is that it is this uh, one-time initiating ceremony into the community of the church. Not an over and over and over event that you should be doing in your life. Yes, and that it symbolizes and signifies the initiation into the church. So we are going to look at four views of baptism. You can definitely find more than four, but the four that we're going to review are probably the the largest four, like the largest chunks 
you can have like subgroups within these four, but for the sake of this podcast and trying to cover it within the time of a time frame of a podcast, we're going to go through four. So the first one is um, baptismal regeneration, which I have understood it to be in many ways, baptism as a means of salvation. But Dale, I think that like when you and I were talking about that, you said that might be an overgeneralization of the understanding of this view. And maybe that's not a fair way to say baptism is a means of salvation. Yeah, particularly in the Catholic tradition, there is this view that's uh, known as sacramentalism, which posits that the sacraments, if completed, there's an assumption that faith precedes the sacrament, the enactment of the sacrament, and that uh, the sacrament is a means by which we receive the grace of God, and that grace that we receive is efficacious for salvation. So, basically, that if you go through all of the sacraments— um, it is uh, an assurance of salvation, essentially, hmm. that you've okay. been through all of the sacraments. And this kind of hinges on the idea that um, like physical baptism, we'll just pick the one sacrament that we're talking about. The physical baptism, it has a supernatural connection to salvation. But it isn't to say that it's impossible to be saved without being baptized uh, in the same way that um, you can be saved in the Catholic tradition, you know, through their theological system of belief um, without having completed all of the sacraments. And a prime example of that is that marriage is one of their sacraments, and even the Pope doesn't have that. So okay. this isn't to say that uh, in their view of sacramentalism that the that if you weren't baptized that you you couldn't receive salvation. But they do see it as something supernatural happening in that physical act that it's not just symbolic, that there is this supernatural means of God's grace that is enacted by the physical act of baptism. And because specifically in baptism, that is a regenerative symbol and sign, that there is something regenerative supernaturally happening upon that baptism. Okay, and that's still connected, like that regeneration is very much connected to one's salvation, though. But faith has to come before the act of baptism. Right, and okay. when we're talking about uh, Catholic baptism and Lutheran, this is kind of like yeah. uh, two separate views. Um, I don't, it, this is a little bit too far outside of my tradition, to be able to intelligently distinguish the difference between the Catholic view of this and the Lutheran view of this. I actually have the same issue when it comes to their views of the Eucharist as well, um, but that's a whole different conversation. So it's, it's similar but different, but I'm not sure exactly how, but Catholics and Lutherans do have this view, and that the, the faith that is preceding this particular sacrament is the faith of the parents because they are baptizing them as infants. Correct. Yeah. But there is a belief that it is not just a symbol. Like like we who grew up in low church baptistic situations where it we we see it just purely as a symbol. They say it's not only it is a symbol, but there's actually something supernatural that happens and that something that happens is regenerative in nature. Yeah, and the Lutherans would essentially agree with that and 
from what I could tell, Lutherans would understand faith has to come before baptism, and baptism is really a solidifying act of your salvation in Christ. But there is something supernatural, something spiritual happening in that moment of baptism that is... It's not critical to someone's faith in so far as if you're not baptized and you're not saved, but it definitely has a lot more like intertwining with salvation and baptism. Like those two things have to happen um, in order to solidify your faith. Right. Yeah. Um, and I thought it would be good to even look at some of the scriptural references as we go through these four views of baptism to not just assume it's tradition and like people are just making up stuff, but people are, are looking to scripture to try and figure out like, yes, we are commanded to baptize, but how exactly should that happen? And what should we believe about baptism? So, um, one of the largest chunks of scripture that supports baptismal regeneration could be found in first Peter three, 18 to 22. And I am going to read all of those verses because I think it's to just drop you into where it talks about water baptism. It's kind of hard to gather what exactly is happening. So we'll start at 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of the clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So it's drawing this comparison that in the way that Noah and his family were saved through water, this is a foreshadowing of baptism where you'd be saved through water by the power of Jesus, his death and resurrection, is basically the the scriptural foundation of this regenerative baptism view that's held among Catholics and Lutherans. Right. And so other traditions would look at this verse um, not as a support of baptism bringing about salvation or solidifying salvation um, because they would actually point to, I think it's verse 20, where uh, Peter says, uh, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. And so they would say, look, Peter is saying it's not actually the water that's doing anything that's washing your body. Like that's an outward, that's an outward expression. But this is actually an appeal for God to clean your conscience, which would be an inward spiritual transaction between God and the individual. So baptism as an inward transaction that is only symbolized by the physical ceremony of the body being washed by water. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just a way to look at it and say, 
well, this is why we, a lot of other faith traditions don't believe that baptism is a part of regeneration. Well, and as their main passage of scripture for this idea, it's not an incredibly transparent passage of scripture on a lot of different points. Yeah, like there's the a lot of other things to happening. Noah, that's bears some contemplation. There's that yeah. whole phrase about uh, Jesus going and proclaiming to the imprisoned spirits. That is notoriously. A I was de- hoping we could just gloss over that, that and not. I'm come not going to get that. into it. I'm just to say <laughs> that the meaning there's of this of text stuff. is not terribly transparent. So to build your entire theology of baptism around it to me it's it's a little bit strained well, and so that's why not. i would be like eh, i'm not so sure this is my jam i'm not saying it's like anti-christian or whatever but it's not it's I, i'm not on board you and, didn't convince me and not that i'm of these two faith traditions at all but i wouldn't say this is the only verse you know that they're building it on but it is one of the main supporting verses that i could find as i was really trying to understand the different views of baptism so if you are listening to our podcast and you are Catholic or Lutheran, yeah, if you're Catholic, this is your, no, and this is yeah. your, uh, you know, tradition of belief on baptism. Like, please feel free to, I was actually like, oh, I need to find like somebody who's like Catholic and went to seminary and like ask them a bunch of questions about the yeah. sacraments. Cause looking into this, I'm like, I need just to like work this out with somebody who like yeah. knows what they're talking about. Uh, so within this same view of baptism, uh, something else that comes up a lot is the, the mode of baptism. And so whether it's sprinkling, it's dunking, or it's pouring, uh, and you have some views of baptism that have a very strong belief of the ex- exact method that should be happening. But for people who believe in baptismal regeneration, uh, sprinkling, pouring, or dunking are all acceptable ways to baptize someone within the Catholic tradition and within the Lutheran tradition. I want to know who's dunking babies, though. Well, that's, yeah. So it's that's abrasive. That's something we'll go on to later. And these traditions don't, we haven't talked about the baby part, Dale. You're like jumping ahead. Um, but they don't only baptize babies. Right. If they can get to them early, then they will. Yes. But if you can do it as an adult as well, yes, yeah, I think everybody who's a who baptizes babies also baptizes adults. But right. if you're into baptizing babies, that's your first preference, right? And so um, that is the the Catholic and the Lutheran view. But those aren't the only people who are dunking babies. And so there's some other people that are dunking babies. We want to talk about in just one second. All right. Baby dunkers, let me know who are they. No, I well, I don't want to get there yet. I there was something I found very interesting, and maybe nobody else finds this interesting. But why are there so many methods of baptizing? And when I looked into it, I was just really surprised. It's a very practical reason why you can either sprinkle, um, dunk, or just like pour some water on someone's head, and that's because throughout the church. Water has not been easily accessible, especially an amount of water that it takes to like dunk someone underneath. So the reason we now have sprinkling or pouring is for very practical reasons of people just not being able to um, access water in such large quantities. And also as we move into uh, the Pado-Baptist view. No. Yes. Mm Pado-Baptist view. Sorry. Pado. The Pado-Baptist view, uh, they are sprinkling because they're not dunking a baby. Like, that's just 
not kind. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. What were you reading from? It was, was it an ancient Christian document where it was talking about the the preference of how to be baptized, where it's like. If you have living water, i.e. flowing water, mm-hmm. that's your first preference. Mm-hmm. If you can't have that, then a body of still water will do. And if you don't have that, then pour over their head three times in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that should do you. And that became the prominent way just because of the availability. Not everybody lives by the Jordan River. Right. And not everybody has a large body of water that they're just going to dunk people in. Mm-hmm. And so the the sprinkling or the pouring became uh, more prevalent in uh, a number of different Christian streams uh, until, you know, credo Baptists yeah. who are do it by immersion, you know, really emphasize the full immersion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's actually a lot of like just quotes from like first, second century was it like the Didache or something like that? I think that? so. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so shocked. Like they're, they're telling their people, hey, like this is not something to stress about. Like just use what you have available and it still counts. So you don't have to worry just because you, you don't have a body of water next to you that you're not actually baptized. So they're not going to like no rep your baptism <laughs> yes, based on, yeah, on the exactly. mode. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about baptismal regeneration. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that kind of introduces this supernatural element into the physical act. Like right. everybody else would say, yes, Jesus is supernaturally working. He's present in a way in the baptism. Um, but the, uh, Next two ways that we talk about that we'll talk about people baptizing and their view on it, it is a symbol, and so there's no real kind of supernatural anything happening. Yes, other than we're already in, in, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and so super everything's supernatural. Um, but there's not something particular. Yes, and so the first one is the uh, Pado Baptist or, or covenantal, covenantal ba- baptism, baptism, i.e., the baby dunkers. Yes. Uh, and I do want to correct something. I think I started off saying we're going to look at four views. That's not true. I'm so sorry, everybody. I didn't mean to lie to you. We are looking at three views today. What's the fourth view? I don't know. I, <laughs> I just... <laughs> Maybe when you were like, I'm going to come up with a fourth. Yeah, and you like, just never did because you, you just got stopped up at baptismal regeneration. Yeah, I don't know. But we're looking at three. So we're on number two, uh, covenantal baptism or paleo-baptist. So essentially this view sees baptism as a sign of the covenant with God. So just as God set up a covenant with the people of Israel through circumcision with Abraham, and that was a sign and a seal of God's people, right, during the Old Testament, God has now set up the covenant of baptism with the church to be a sign and a seal that you are God's people during the church age. I mean, which is a much more streamlined sign and seal. Like, you don't need scissors. You just find some water if it's available to you. It's not painful. Yeah. I mean, hopefully not. If Well, if you're sprinkling or pouring, it's not bad, but there's no risk of drowning. I don't think there's any risk of drowning. This Gosh, is getting I wasn't dark. Going there. Jeez. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, these are not the kind of jokes that I wanted you to insert. <laughs> this is, you're doing a terrible job at jokes today, Dale. I'm not the one joking <laughs> about drowning babies. I didn't say drowning babies. Oh my gosh. What are you talking about? You need to cut this out. Okay, so um this idea that baptism is really in relation to uh a sign and a seal of the covenant of God with the church. And in the same way that 
all of Israel received this covenant with God through circumcision, it then parallels that all of God's people would have this covenant with God. So even though your parents are the ones with faith, there would be an extension of their faith, not necessarily to bring about salvation in your life, but at least to seal this covenant with God of your future salvation. And so that's why within the covenant baptism view, it is primarily babies that are being baptized and not adults. Right. If you come to faith as an adult, then they'll they'll baptize you. But but if they can get to you as a baby, that's that's the you, plan. And it's more akin to what the way they treat it. It's not a one to one ratio, but the way that us who like grew up in Baptist churches would treat like baby dedications. Yes. It's more of along those lines where like this family is dedicated mm-hmm. in faith. Uh, this child is being raised in a Christian home in this Christian church. And so this is the community sign and symbol that we are all in covenant together. Uh, the yeah. Pedro Baptist say that, that baptism is that sign. Right. And this is important to be clear. They wouldn't say this means the baby is saved. This is a symbol of the, the salvation to come for this child. Um, which is very interesting, especially once we get over to believers baptism, where it's just a, a very different view of what baptism is and what baptism symbolizes. Yeah. And so this isn't just like some strange thing. No. Uh, Anglicans, Episcopalians, Methodists, Presbyterians, uh, Reformed uh, traditions, they do pedo baptism. And um, I know there's a lot of those denominations that have kind of split. And so you kind of think like, oh, aren't those like the really like liberal lefty traditions? And actually not. I mean, yes and no. They didn't start that way. Yeah, like the Episcopalians, yes, lefty tradition. But the Anglicans, the ACNA, Anglican Church of North America split off from the Episcopalians. And they're the more conservative that hold orthodox evangelical teachings, particularly around uh, human sexuality. There's the Methodists. They're going through a split right now. The United Methodists are on the left side. The global... Uh, Methodist Church is on the more conservative, traditional side. Uh, same thing with Presbyterians. There's the PCA and the PCUSA. PCA is the good one, right? And we need to say good one. I'm sorry. I mean the conser- the traditional one that I, didn't give away the farm yes. on, morally. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. Tell us how you feel, Dale. <laughs> I mean, they did. Like They just said, like, oh, we're just going to change all our morals. And so we're going to do that. So, so, But like those who have splintered off into what we would call the traditional side are very much uh, in the evangelical stream of things. Right. So, um, so there's a the, large say, tradition. This, yeah. People that, that, are, that uh-huh. care about Jesus just as much as you do, who care about you know, the, the grace of Jesus and um, the message of the gospel, evangelism, discipleship, the whole thing, all the stuff that you, you care about. If you're outside of this Pado baptist tradition and are suspicious of it, there are people who basically have the same theological convictions as you as it relates to all the big stuff. This is not a weird thing that they're baptizing babies. No, not at all. And I think oftentimes if you have grown up within the uh, believer's baptism tradition, because it is so large that there's a skewed view of pedo baptism that it's only within the Catholic tradition that babies are being baptized. But there is a large tradition within the evangelical church that holds to this. And again, like you said, um, is still 
agree and believe in and support and are passionate about the very fundamental um, essentials within the Christian faith in general. Mm-hmm. And so what are the uh, scriptural arguments for uh, baptizing infants rather than waiting for a uh-huh. profession of faith? Um, so there were two that I could find that seemed to um, be the two major ones. Again, there are other verses, um, other scriptural support, but we'll just look at these two here. So the first one is Colossians two eleven through 12. It says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So that was Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. And then there's this um, narrative from Acts 16, beginning in verse 31. It says, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And this is when they were talking about Paul and Barnabas, I believe, who were in prison and the, the prison gates opened. So they, the jailer came and he washed their wounds. And immediately he and his household were baptized. And so I think on both sides of whether you're for infant baptism or not, in many ways, both sides, are it's an argument from silence. Because you look at like that and it says um, him and his whole household and the pedo-baptist goes, see, I bet, you, I bet you there was a baby in there. Yeah. I bet you there was a baby in there. And the people who are for believer's baptism aren't for pedo-baptism to say, did it say there was a baby in there? There was never anything explicitly said right. that there was a baby in there. They had to, you know, all do their individual profession of faith. And so that that's where the argument really lies. It's an argument from silence. Mm-hmm. And looking back to Colossians 2, 11 through 12, uh, those who wouldn't agree with uh, paedo-baptism would say, certainly there are parallels being drawn between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, but it's not a one-to-one transfer. The large distinction between the covenants is that within the people of Israel, like you were part of that community through physical descent. And it was like, that was the thing that gave you membership into that community. Like you were born into that community. It's like your bloodline. Um, and circumcision was just a symbol of that. But in the new Testament, in order to be part of the community of believers of Christ, you have to have faith. Right. You have to opt in. Right. It's like the difference between American privacy laws and GDPR. I don't know what that means. America, you can just be opted in and you have to opt out. Say for like a mailing list, yeah. legally speaking. Right. GDPR, you have to opt in. Yes. Otherwise, it's illegal. Right. So that's, that's the that difference between- a great between, analogy. It was. I'm sorry. It was lost on me. I'm sure there are many listeners who got that and are laughing at me now, which is fine. All of our European listeners got it. I'm sure we have a lot of those. <laughs> uh, so, so yes, uh, baptism is now the symbol of God's covenant instead of circumcision, but that cannot be applied down to the understanding that children are also brought into that covenant like automatically because of their parents' faith, where certainly within Israel, the children were brought into that covenant because they are Israelites. 
Yeah, and part of the disagreement on how to understand the metaphor of circumcision and whether or not that transfers over to the symbol of baptism is a part of a larger disagreement about the overall framework mm-hmm. with which we should right. view the kind of creation, fall, redemption story where a lot of paedo-baptists fall on the covenant theology side of things, whereas people who are believers' baptism fall on the dispensational side of things. And if those phrases sound scary but vaguely familiar, we kind of discussed those at length in the Rapture Anxiety episode. Yes. So go back and listen to that one. That one's a wild ride. Uh, It's a good one. But it's just a different framework where the church— covenant or God's covenant with the church is replacing the covenant with Israel in the paedo-baptist overall vision of things generally speaking whereas in the non-paedo-baptist believers baptism side of things um that's not taking place and so circumcision is circumcision and that was in that dispensation now we have baptism and that's a completely separate thing that's kind of within the the more dispensational way of viewing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes sense how those things would tie together in your view of baptism as well as, you know, in your view of the way that God has um, worked his redemption plan within the world. Uh, so as we look back at Pado baptists and their belief on baptism, I thought it was good to not only look at the verses, but also explain. So, if it is not a sealing of salvation or a like a supernatural thing happening for mainly babies with within the baptism process, then what exactly is happening? So they would agree that baptism symbolizes the probable future of regeneration for this baby being baptized. It's a seal of the eventual saving faith that a child will have. So it's not. Their salvation's on layaway. (laughs) (laughs) Is what they're saying. Um, No. To put it crassly. No, but what it's saying is that the the expectation is that if this child is baptized is because their parents are faithful uh, members of the covenant visible in the church, the covenant people visibly. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is a reasonable expectation that if this child is raised in this family, in this covenant community of believers, that they will eventually reach a maturity of faith and uh, receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Right. So that baptism is, like you said, parallels to what those within believers baptism tradition would call baby dedications this declaration and proclamation publicly within the body of Christ that we are going to raise these child these children in the ways of the Lord and this is like that symbol of that happening and of course with the hope that salvation is part of that child's future right um not just saying well i don't know what's going to happen but no, we are going to do everything to teach our child the ways of the Lord and raise him in the ways of the Lord and be that example to them. And so really, baptism for the Pado baptist it does have a little bit more of a ceremonial significance, I think. It's not similar to the regeneration, the baptismal regeneration, but I would say more than what we see in the believer's baptism view. 
Yeah, and again, just going back to that uh, parallel with the circumcision, that in the same way that there's viewing baptism, circumcision was this sign that you were visibly part of the covenant people um, with the expectation that you would grow up into a covenant member of the community, but not everybody who was circumcised and who was in Israel was a true follower of the God right. of Israel. And you kind of see the reverse of that in in John where Jesus first meets Nathaniel, and he gives them this compliment, and he says, um, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. And what he's referring to is that not only were you a part of the circumcision community, but you have grown up into a faith where you are a true Israelite among Israelites. And so there would be that same expectation that you would be a true covenant member of the followers of Jesus uh, just as you were uh, baptized as a baby. Yeah. And their mode of baptism, which we already talked about when we first started talking about Pado Baptist, is they primarily sprinkle. And that is for a very practical reason that you're not going to dunk a baby or pour water over a baby's head, but you're just going to sprinkle for the sake of safety and health and not wanting to injure a baby. On an exciting day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we got baptismal regeneration, which um, we don't understand too terribly well, and hopefully we didn't horribly misrepresent. We have pedo-baptism, which is more symbolic, but is still um, preferential to baptizing infants as part of this covenant community. And then we have believer's baptism, which we have mentioned, also referred to as credo-baptism. Um, and this is the view that is held widely among, uh, you guessed it, Baptists, what? as well as a slew of non-denominational who are basically Baptist churches with cool websites, uh, and then also Pentecostals. So um, Pentecostals, the denomination, mm-hmm. and then all of the other splinter denominations and traditions, whether it be Assemblies of God, whether it be Foursquare, um, whether it be New Apostolic Reformation, that's a whole different podcast right there. But they are also credo-baptists as well. So there's a whole slew of people, typically very low church, uh, meaning not very high liturgy, um, pretty flat hierarchical structure. Right. Um, a lot of church autonomy. Um, and that is the churches that um, we grew up in. And yep. um, a lot of our friends did too. Yeah. Uh, And so this view, which, again, might be what most of our listeners are familiar with, or maybe we just don't have a good read on our listeners at all. uh, But this view is that baptism is an outward symbol of an inward faith. So baptism really is just a public profession of your faith before a body of believers. Uh, and so there's nothing supernatural happening within your baptism. There is no um, extension of somebody's faith solidifying anything um, or symbolizing anything in any way. It is the believer themselves who is making this conscious decision to be baptized, saying, I am a believer and a follower of Christ, and now I will be baptized. Yep, and there's a number of scripture verses that kind of... Uh Support this way of doing baptism in Acts 2.38. This is in a sermon given by Peter, I believe. It says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. So basically it says, Repent, believe on Jesus, get dunked. It all happens in the same day. 
It's this outward expression of an inward faith. If you've been to a Baptist church, you've probably heard that phrase thousands of times, pretty much every time baptism is brought up. And another verse would be those who received his word were baptized, Acts 2.41. You see a lot of baptizing happening in Acts, which, of course, is the uh, beginning of the church. So it makes sense that that's where you're seeing most of the accounts of baptism. Yeah, and it, it just, you know, again and again, you say they believed and then they were baptized. They believed and then they were baptized. Right. And so that seems to be pretty normative uh, in the book of Acts, which is um, where you get a lot of support. The one where it does cross over with the Pado baptist argument is when there are entire households who are being baptized. Right. And there seems to be something covenantal about that. And was there a baby that, in the mix somewhere? Mm-hmm. Maybe, right, but maybe believers' not. baptism would say, yeah, you can have a whole family at church be baptized as long as they're As long as that three-year-old feet. said, I believe in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another discussion, right? Like what is the age of someone truly being able to profess their faith? But anyways... Uh, so the mode of baptism, which is the other two that we talked about, they allow for sprinkling, pouring, dunking. But um, mostly they sprinkle. Mostly sprinkle for the sake of safety. Uh, but believer's baptism is very, very passionate about the one and only way you are supposed to baptize is immersion. Because that's what the word baptize means, Tamara. Yes. In the Greek. In the Greek. That's not disputed at all. The Greek meaning of that word. It means immersion. <laughs> yes, exactly. There, there is some dispute, but we won't get into it. That that yeah. doesn't help our argument. It doesn't. But there are people who are just very passionate about the fact that um, baptism in Greek means immersion. So therefore, hello, you should be fully submerged under the water in order to be baptized. Um, And there is a clear symbolism that is happening um, of the body being submerged under the water as being buried with Christ and then exiting the water as being resurrected with Christ. So within this full symbolism, you have the, the burial death and the resurrection in the same way that um, our soul has been buried and raised again. And so, I mean, there is that like physical symbol happening within full immersion. And I think that's probably another reason why immersion is so, um, as the only way believers baptism will do it. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I mean, there are sometimes exceptions like at our church. I remember sometime last year, there was someone who had like an injury uh, and it couldn't. Yes. They couldn't go underwater, so they stood in the pool, and, and they poured. We did. We took a jug and we did three pours on their head for the Father, Father Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. So yeah. I mean, it was like, it was like the least Baptist kind of baptism, probably allowable at our church, right? Um, but it was still a credo baptism, and it was as close to immersion as we could do mm-hmm. given medical limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, and since. Much of evangelicalism in America has been shaped by the theology and culture of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and other Baptist traditions. We've all done a Lifeway study. Yes. That's SBC. Right. That's their publishing arm. Yeah, exactly. Um, So unless you grew up within the Catholic Church or in a mainline denomination, believer's baptism is probably what you are most familiar with. But interestingly enough... 
believer's baptism is not the view on baptism that has the longest tradition within the Christian church at large. And I'm not even sure it has the majority if you look no. at the global church right. today. Like if you just look at every global Christian in any tradition, and maybe you take out, say, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness even, and you, you just say— You should take those out. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're Christian-ish. Um, Seventh-day Adventists will let you stay. Uh, but we'll count all of that. I think Credo Baptists are probably in the minority. They're still the minority, right. They're and, not the extreme minority, but they're not the super majority either. Well, and if you think about the timeline of the church, this view came in when the Baptist denomination was birthed. And so... Well, when some Baptist denominations were birthed, not the current main one, but right. that one birthed for a different reason, but we'll save that for a different day. Yes, but... If you look at the history of church, like first, second century, like this was not the view that was being held. At least we can't see records of this being the view. No, it seems from very early on, as early as the third century, they were already doing uh, pedo-baptism. Right. Yeah. So I just thought that was incredibly fascinating. This is the only understanding of a baptism that I've had most of my life. And then to find out that it's not, not only... Is it the minority view within the current global church today? But if you look at the global church historically, it is also probably one of the youngest views of baptism in general. Yeah, which is interesting because if you'd gone to any of the churches that I grew up in, like we threw some shade at Beto Baptist. Right. And still to this day, it, it I think it comes from uh, maybe uh, ignorance sounds mean, but it, just not knowing. Just not that's knowing. what ignorance is. Not knowing that there are people who are basically the same kind of evangelical you are, who have a different view on pedo baptism um, because they're not dispensationalists. They're covenant theologians, and uh, it's a whole different thing. But they love the same Jesus that you love. Yes, and it also goes to show how large of an arm the Southern Baptist Convention and like Baptistic views have within the American church. And it is hard for us sometimes to see outside of the water that we're swimming in, right? So if the main way of understanding church is through the Southern Baptist Convention, and even though a lot of churches wouldn't even say they're Baptist, they have a lot of Baptist views within their theology at large and because of that you can't really see outside of that because everyone you're surrounded with everyone you're talking to everyone you're engaging with like they go to different church they wouldn't even say their denominations baptist but they all believe in or have experience with believers baptism and so it just makes sense again you can't really see apart from the water you're swimming in, and if everyone around you seems to be swimming in that same water. Or sprinkling in the same water. Yes. Depending. Yes. Um, yeah, so I just, I was just really intrigued by the view that I have held my whole life. <laughs> Not that I would say I'm, I have changed my view on baptism. No, yeah, I was raised a credo Baptist, and I'll probably die a credo Baptist. Um but be nice to your Pedro Baptist friends. I will say a critique. I mean, we can make jokes. We've made a lot of jokes here because there are a lot of jokes to be made. But, like, those jokes should be made in a friendly way and and not in a way that denigrates the faith 
of people who have a different theological view from you, that they're less than, that they're not as smart, that they're not as godly, that Mm -hmm. uh, their faith is works righteousness. I think that's what happens, is that people don't understand the Catholic view of baptism, so they flatten it out to say, oh, they think baptism saves you, which is a very unnuanced, flat understanding of uh, re, uh, baptismal regeneration, then they assume that because you're a baptizing baby, that all pedo baptists believe that they the baptism saves you when you were baptized as a baby, and that is an anti Christian idea. But it's not what any of those people believe, anyways. Right. Uh, I the criticism for believers' baptism is that when you only see baptism as a symbol of someone's faith. Um, that it doesn't make baptism a real priority. It doesn't make baptism a sense of necessity within their faith. And oftentimes someone will feel just as comfortable going through their faith, never being baptized. And also that it might not be a high priority within the church to really explain baptism and to urge their church members to be baptized in a way that truly gives, I guess, like the full scope of the importance of it within scripture. Because all throughout Acts, you see that they believed and they were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. And certainly even within my own experience with the church, opportunity for baptism was a few times throughout the year. And um, it's kind of like if you didn't do it then, then like, oh, you got to wait till the spring, you know, yeah, you have to wait till the next season. And and even in that moment, how it like how holy is that moment within the believers baptism view? If it's just this symbol that we do to profess your faith, does it really give it the weight that we should give it? Um, that we see within scripture. Right. And it's not really explained in scripture. That's why there's so much debate about what what is actually happening in that moment or um, how even the ceremony of that moment should look. Um, going back to critiques of uh, credo baptism, I think too that I see that are things that if you are um, in the Baptistic tradition that, um, that I think we need to, Uh, address. One is that you mentioned is that we only do it every so often. And part of the reason we do it only every so often is because we want to make sure we have the numbers for it. Like if there's only one, like, like it's not really a show, you know, like you want to have like, I feel so icky. You want to have a lot. I mean, but it's true. Like if, or you, you schedule baptisms and no one signs up, it's kind of like, you know, that, that that's not good or whatever. Like it feels like a failure or whatever. So I think we need to uh, solve for some of the more performative aspects of that mm-hmm. um, where we kind of see um, baptism numbers. Um, we want to, you know, make that look as, as good as we can. Um, and I think that that's an issue that we need to address. I think the other thing is the, the hyper individualism of uh, credo baptism is that I believe I confess I get dunked. And then I go to Applebee's and celebrate. Um, and there isn't really an element of, other than the fact that you were baptized in a church, uh, that the church is really involved in that in any way. Whereas pedo-baptism, the church is very involved symbolically at the very least. Um, so I think 
um, the individualism that accompanies um, our kind of current expression of credo baptism is another thing that we would do well to solve for or at least be aware of and try to counteract in some kind of way. Right. And you do have some that would still believe in believer's baptism, but they require you to go through a course or something to make sure you truly understand. I don't like those. Which, to me, that feels a little bit more like gatekeeping Mm. as to whether or not we're going to allow you to be baptized. Where in scripture you see, like, in that same moment, they believed and they were baptized. Like, they pulled over off the side of the road and, like, found a body of water and were baptized. So I understand the need to make sure people really understand what baptism is are, do they really have faith or not? But in the same way, how do you really know whether or not someone has faith? Like we are not the deciders of that. We are not the gatekeepers of that. And so to require a three week course or, you know, however much time has to be invested in order to sign up to be baptized on this particular day. Like you're just creating so many roadblocks that I don't see a requirement in scripture for that many roadblocks in order to be baptized. So I don't know how we bridge the the middle of that, right? Where someone's just standing up for the sake of emotions because of the, the big production that's going around baptisms on a certain day on the other end of you know you have to go through these five classes in order to even sign up in order to make it to the Sunday and then like what happens if you don't like do you are you declined baptism like I don't know I don't know how it works in those churches right was it uh, Philip who was with the Ethiopian eunuch and he was uh, reading to him and, and the guy said what is to prevent me from being baptized right now He's like nothing. nothing. And then they just found some water. They did. And so really I think all it is is that uh, I love to at the beginning of uh baptism ceremonies where before they uh you know dunk them they they ask them do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you raised him from the dead and if they say yes that's a litmus test. And mm-hmm. So therefore I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death and raised to walk in newness of life. And I do think there's power in that even public profession. So hearing somebody have to actually vocalize out loud before the body of Christ, like that really brings that community aspect into baptism and it allows it to be the moment that it's supposed to be within your faith. Like, no, I am actually vocalizing. I'm not just going through the motions of walking up to the front, stepping into the water, like shaking the pastor's hand, getting dunked and walking away. And maybe even having no like verbal exchange at all other than hi, my name is right. So there's some sense of even accountability in that moment of, do you really profess faith and like, can, can we actually have a verbalization of that? Right. Yeah. So yeah. Baptism is very interesting. Uh, overall within scripture and within the evangelical church, everyone would say that baptism is an important aspect of the faith. It is something that believers should be doing, right? They should be baptized now, I guess the question really becomes where in that process of your life does that happen? And where do you stand on uh, baptizing people in horse troughs? 
That's another important question. I don't think that's an important question. Depending at all. on how cool your website is, I will be able to answer that question of how I, I think that you feel about it. You know what I mean? I think that's part of the show of baptism is really like upsetting me these days. But that's not a You're anti horse trough? I don't understand why we're trying to make such a show out of baptisms. I don't think the horse trough is a show. It's just it looks better on That's part in of the, the show. It looks better. You just said it. Oh, you want it to look uglier. We want to intentionally make it look uglier. I'm not saying we need to look ugly, but why is there so much thought into the aesthetics of a, a baptismal? Oh, it's more than the aesthetics. Horse troughs are cheap, too. Oh, okay. Well, you really threw us <laughs> off on a tangent here talking about horse troughs. Well, what we do know is this. Email us and let us know if you were baptized in a horse trough. No, don't email us. That. I mean, you can email us if you want. Dale will gladly read it. Uh, what we do know is that Jesus commanded for baptism to be part of the church. Um, and also, this is not a first tier issue. Because all of the evangelical Christian views would not say this is part of your salvation. This is not the solidification of your salvation. So it's not actually a salvation issue. It is part of your faith and a profession of your faith and even a ceiling of your faith, depending on where you are. But it is not actually what is saving you. So when it comes to us having discussions about this, there is room for us to land on different sides of how you go about baptizing people and who should be baptized in terms of like age, right? Um, but it is clear that baptism should be part of the church. Right. That part is pretty pretty high tier. Yes. And then the mode in which you execute it is on a lower tier. So we should value baptism and we should make sure that it is um, an important part of our own faith and it should be something that we see within our own like church settings, right? Like baptism should be an important part of your church settings and an important part of your personal faith. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kindnessproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.